0: That's right. Welcome to another episode of Loosely Speaking. I am your host Dave Loosely and I've got another great podcast for you this week. Now before I get on to that, I just want to welcome all the new listeners. So all the people that have liked the page over the past week, thank you so much for doing so. And that competition was still running and now it's closed. So I'm going to announce the winner. All you had to do on the Nick Capo episode was leave a comment underneath the link on my Facebook page that's all you had to do and like the page of course uh, a lot of you like the page only about five of you actually wrote under the video so uh, under the link so that's great for you five because it gives you a better chance of winning uh, you basically have won uh, one of my dvds and a set of lecture notes just a way of saying thank you for supporting this podcast and the winner is sam clark so sam clark congratulations my friend all you have to do head back over to the loosely speaking facebook page and drop me a inbox message just let me know where i'm going to send it and that is going to be on its way to you so congratulations sam and thank you to everyone who took part in that and is listening to this podcast so on to this week's show now this is a great episode i've known this guy for for a long long time and he's been doing amazing things uh, for the magic scene for a long time. He's probably more familiar to you recently because you've seen him on Britain's Got Talent Uh, but you know rest assured he's been doing awesome things before that. So I'm going to be talking about his life in magic so far and of course that amazing audition for Britain's Got Talent. So welcome to Loosely Speaking with Damien O'Brien. So Damien O'Brien, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, mate. How are you? I'm very good. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Um, you know, you're somebody I've known for quite a while. I think it's probably ten years ago or so. We were uh, hanging out around London and and swapping tricks within the same sort of circles. And um, yes. yeah, I just I wanted to get you on. Obviously, you've had an awesome career in magic so far, and It's been highlighted recently to the public with PGT, um, bringing you back to the forefront. And uh, yeah, that was amazing. We'll get onto that a little bit later. But first off, tell us about you. Uh, Tell us how you got into magic and uh, how you kind of come up with with your style.
1: Um, With magic for me, I got into it when I was a kid. I see a magician who was performing to kids on the streets around the area I lived in. And... I was just amazed at the people's reactions. I loved it as well. Don't get me wrong. I'm just blown away. But I really liked watching other people like freak out the way they did and being amazed. And I wanted to be able to create those sort of moments. So that really sort of stuck with me. And I was just like, you know what, this is what I want to do as well. And so I got into it and learned. And then, you know, I remember the first trick I learned was actually card on the ceiling, which um, not many magicians would start with that. And, but thing is, once you learn it, like, you know, it's all about perfecting it. And I spent probably about two and a half months creating so many different routines around this one trick. Wow. And like, that was the only sort of trick I could do. And then it was like, you know, you get that bug where it's like, well, I need to learn more. I need to learn more. Like, And we get addicted to it. And I just had to learn more. And then that was it. Like, I was hooked and... You know, I found, uh, you know, the magic shops, uh, Alakazam's very early days online. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, Davenport's Magic and that obviously there wasn't many you didn't have, you know, uh, the big like uh, online companies back then. You
0: know, so it was a lot harder to learn. But yeah, yeah.
1: that's how I got into it.
0: No, that's that's great, mate. And so with your style, I mean, it's quite it's very difficult in magic to, to put a style or, or have a character or all that sort of stuff now with you it's very yeah. distinct you know you went for the kind of street look and performance style where did that mm. kind of come from was that there from the very beginning
1: that was to me that was just always there from the beginning like that's always been me you know as a little kid like I was always wearing a baseball cap and stuff like and t-shirts and that. I've always been into art so there was like no reason why End up probably having as many tattoos as I did, and I, I worked in a tattoo shop for a while, like because I loved that whole industry. I love anything kind of creative like that and an expression. So yeah. for me, it was just I, I've always been me, and you know, I've even heard people recently going, "Oh, you know, uh, Damien's thirty-five; he shouldn't be dressing like that." And it's like, you know, that that bugs me a little bit because I'm like, you know, what? I should be, you know, what wearing suit and tie now and blazer? Should I? Why mm-hmm. should I? Like and it does like you know rattle you a little bit and the whole idea is to be an individual I remember saying Jeff McBride came out with once uh on his videos and said like when you walk into a room everyone should instantly be like who's that there should be that aura about you of you know intriguement and for me so just my style was always sort of done that I mean I turn up to so many parties and people go to me Oh, you the DJ it does make me laugh when I get that <laughs> uh, and I'm like no I'm, I'm the magician and um, to me that's sort of funny but you know I've, it's just me it's just my style and it's that thing I think the more comfortable you are the better you perform you know if I went you know and sort of dressed how I wasn't comfortable I'm not going to give you 100% because I don't feel
0: comfortable yeah no, it's well seven right. Like, and, and how do you adapt? Like, obviously, if you're uh, been booked to do a high-end corporate, then yeah. you you probably adjust your style slightly to you know adapt yeah. to
1: that. Yeah, of course. That thing is like, I think people see, get like misconceptions because like, I do wear suits now. Like, I'm happy to wear a suit. Like, I, you know, I like you know dressing up smart. Like. Mm-hmm every now and then as well like anyone does and you know when it's obviously very high end I will wear a suit but a lot of times a lot of my clients will just be like no we want you as you we want you to be you right we don't want you to be like all suit and tie and stuff like that like you know at weddings I always ask them like do you just want me as myself as you see me from my website and the videos or do you want me to make sure I'm wearing a suit have you got a certain theme the stuff you know, and most of the time they're like, no, we want you as you. That's what's intrigued us. Like you didn't look like uh, the average magician, shall we say? And so you know, I do. And like sometimes it'd be like maybe a t-shirt and a blazer and jeans and something
0: like that, or you know, casual kind of smart. So no, that's cool. That's yeah. yeah, remaining true to who you are in your character, I think that is important. Exactly. You can see when people don't do that, and you know, they they get. Push down the route of wearing a very you know posh suit or whatever, and it doesn't quite suit that style. But that's cool. And and your magic obviously suits that as well. Where do you take inspiration from that? You you like the David Blaine kind of era, or what sort of?
1: Well, uh, David obviously was
0: he. He came out when
1: I was getting into magic. Like he, you know, his first TV special came out in was it ninety eight or ninety nine when I first started really getting intrigued by magic and. Mm. You know, so I think that really did sort of rub off on me. And then, you know, just sort of getting old and seeing, like, the different sort of styles out there. And, you know, you, it takes you a while sometimes to, you know, find your own style where you like to perform, like, and everything. And, you know, watching people like, you know, I, when I was a bit younger, I used to uh speak to Dynamo a lot. And obviously, a lot of his sort of style, I would say, is, you know, sort of, showed me as well that you can do that style as well like you can be yourself you didn't have to follow the industry's rules and all that of you know be suit and tie like you think for one for a long time magic circle you had to be like that in shirts yeah. and stuff like you could never have gone in casual no. um and yeah like as well especially with David watching him you know if you look at all his tv shows most of the times he was just in a pair of t-shirt like well a t-shirt and pair of trousers right like um, or like sort of combat kind of trousers that kind of style like and he was just being himself he was just casual like yeah. and so it's just like no it can be done and like you know i
0: haven't got to worry about being me i can do me uh, that's great mate and on i you know i took a little uh, i always like to do a deep dive and have a look at some videos because although you know we know each other and seen your stuff uh I talked to lots of different friends and when I come back to talking to whoever's on the podcast, I go, do you know what? I'll take a look and, and see what, and you know, some great stuff popped up. I re-looked really at your um full-us, uh, or I don't know what you call it, uh performance, I guess, your full-us performance. That was fantastic. Mm. And uh, I, I want to just quickly jump back to something I found on your website. So it says your honing skills as both a showman and entertainer, Dame, Damien began gigging in local venues until 2005, when an impromptu performance outside a London nightclub kickstarted a chain of events that would catapult this 25-year-old into the big leagues. So, what was that chain of events?
1: Um, so, I was at a club in London. It was a charity event. At that time, I was, you know, doing everything I could to try and get my name out there to hand out a business card. Every penny I uh, went straight back into. Uh, my business, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And I turned up at this event because I heard, you know, always oh, it's, it's going to be good. Like there's going to be a lot of media there as well, a few like famous faces. So I called wicked photo opportunities, you know, get those pictures on my website. And I ended up performing for this guy, and he was like, you know, just all night, he was taking me around, and introducing me to people. And I was like, oh man, who is this guy? But like, you know, it's great that he's introducing me so many people and then at the very end it was like look i'm organizing the brit awards um after show party next week i'd love you to be there and i'm like okay that's crazy and this guy like he helped uh get me to quite a few big events like that uh in similar sort of thing like award shows and it helped me so much and it just got me in front of the right people and then like at these events you meeting people who actually owned the clubs and I was like, look, we've got a really big private event in this place. And then there was a few like products companies. Where I was like, oh, we're doing something here. Would you be interested in coming? And it literally did a sort of snowball effect and wow. jumpstart my career, shall we say?
0: Yeah. So I guess you never know who you're performing to. So you've always got to take every you moment. You never know. Yeah.
1: That's, that's it. Like there's times like, you know, I'm not going to lie. There's been times where I'm like, I oh, I don't know if I really want to go to like this event like I've been invited to maybe events just to attend show my face not even perform uh, I don't know and then I go down to it and I, ha- I have to remind myself you never know who you're going to meet just go down there and it's probably going to be great and I, I've this always has been I've always got there and I'm like you know what you make the most of it you make contacts with people you chat
0: to people because you never know where it can lead no definitely and obviously now that you know well i know before this anyway you've been in the, the public eye a lot you've been on tv a lot you've been um doing lots of these sort of high-end events and stuff but people be- begin to know you as the magician what are your everyday carries so like if you're obviously stops and said oh can you show us something i always have a bugbear i have to have something on me i can't be that guy that says oh sorry i don't have my cards you know um What's your everyday yeah. carries, Damien?
1: Um, I think it's a lot easier now because of technology. Mm. Um, the, you know, special uh, tricks with phones always help now. Yeah. So I'm always able to do something with a phone if I've not actually got my cards. to me. I love doing PK touches all the time. I think that's just such a powerful effect if you get it right. Yeah. Um, and but most of the time like you I, I usually do have a deck of cards because I'm, I'm a very fidgety person I think that's why I like to do magic so much because like I, I could never sit still <laughs> so like I always had to like be doing something, so like that's why it came so easy I was always playing around with cards I always have them in my pockets if I'm sitting on the tube I'm like just messing around with a deck of cards in my hand wow. or something like that um I don't sit still so I always have yeah a deck of cards and obviously my phone, you know, and usually most of the times there's uh, like a coin in my pocket or something I can do something with as well. So there's always thank. I mean, yeah. in the end day, we are limited by imagination. So
0: yeah, no, definitely. I'm always intrigued. I always ask because people, some people, I go to the extent of always carrying like a bag on them, which is always full of stuff, and others uh, minimalist. That so it's always it's very interesting to hear everyone's different views. So I, I touched on. Pen and Teller earlier, um, but let, let's just go through that process. So I think you were on season one, and obviously now it's gone on to like season seven and moving on to eight. Um, how did this come about, and where did you start with the process of going, right, what trick am I going to do to try and fool Penn and Teller?
1: Um, so not a lot of people know. like The actual very first pilot episode, which had Ben L and John Archer on, and uh, I think it was Michael Vincent as well, um i was actually on that and um it couldn't have gone more horribly wrong on the night um and you know that was you know a few things which changed i was like oh we don't think you should do the trick this way you know i'm listening to producers who are not uh magic experts so i'm just like paying attention because this is one of the first sort of big tv things i've done so i'm just agreeing with them and yeah it just went terrible and then when they was like, look, we've been commissioned for a full series. We'd like you to come back and try again. I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. So this time I really put some four in. I actually called Pete and Nardi. And I was like, you know, I, I want to go in there with a really good trick, but what suits my style and stuff like that. And after chatting for a while, with, uh, Pete and Nardi, he went to me and I went, I think this trick would be great for you. And, uh, you know, it's been out there long enough now. I think uh, people know um, it was the growl. Yeah. And it was like the uh, newer version of it. I think it was like the gold edition or whatever. Cause I think they sort of modified it a little bit. Uh-huh. And I went into the audition and uh, I remember Mark Irvin was there and you had uh, Angelo Carbone was consulting for them as well as Paul Stone. And I've done the routine and I've had a perfect hit. <laughs> like it could like, like when it's, so literally literally can't get any better. And I remember like being all quite cocky and just sitting back. I was like, you can't it. I ain't gonna touch it. And it, it literally Yeah, this was like, well, this was the audition to see if they want to put me in the show. Right. And um like it's blown them away. And I remember <laughs> Angelo just being like they was like, So Angelo, do you know how it's done? And he was like and he's like thinking he went, Well, it can't be the growl because I've got that. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there in my head, it's like, it's the grill, it's the grill, it's the grill. Like, and I ain't said nothing. And I was like, well, we'd love you to come back. And I remember Mark Overall at the back was just like, well, oh, that's just fooled me. Like, because it was so clean, because I was seeing the perfect kit, and I've done nothing. And I think that's what sort of uh, got Angelo, because obviously he remembered the first version of the grill. Mm. Um, so, yeah, then when obviously you got to the day of Penantella filming, you have like about 30, 35 minute rehearsal on stage, which is for your lighting, sound checks, camera angles, where they can or can't be. Uh, You do a little run through with Jonathan Ross as well. Uh, He's so, he was so good to work with, like really, really helpful to so many people and made you feel really relaxed. Such a nice guy. Um, Cause it's quite a hard long day like we was inside you know the studio like in a very small room like all the people who are performing on the same day for about 13 hours it's very long you're absolutely shattered because you get there really early and then you don't you know perform till the evening yeah so it's a very long day and you feel a bit like oh my god i'm exhausted um yeah, then it comes to the performance, uh, you know, it went really well, um, and obviously little bits get edited for TV, because I remember Russ Stevens, I like, messaged me straight away, he's like, hey, what the hell, like, you know, it wasn't um, multiple outs or anything like that, and I went, oh, it's edited, mate, oh, wait, like, you know, where they cut out a little bit, sort of what I said, oh, because there's like, oh know, we think it's this, and I'm like, no, no, but I remembered the night before, a couple of people had their trick kind of like they actually go up on stage and pull your bits apart, like which was a bit naughty of them. And uh, I was right. like, well, this ain't my trick to be revealed by anyone. And in the end, I kind of like, was just like, Yeah, yeah, yeah see, because I they it was just like they weren't having it. Like my manager at the time, my family, they was all just like, even the producers, they were nudging them, going, He's fooled him, he's fooled them. Yeah, and then like nothing was coming through. Like Outback were meant to have. Go through to Jonathan Ross. No, that's not the method. They've got it wrong. Right. And where some people seem to like you've watched the show, some people seem to just get it straight away. That it's like, yeah, Yo, you fooled us. Like yeah. that. Like if they've got it wrong. Like if they got slightly of it wrong. And um, but you know, it came out looking really good, and loads of people uh, believed I was forcing a number on Jonathan, which is quite funny. <laughs> and you know, I just played off at of that. And yeah, you know, even after like um, about a year or so after, I actually met with Teller. Um after one of his talks at the O2, and he was going to me and went, oh, I generally saw a palm from you. And I explained the whole routine, how it worked. And he was like, oh, well, it's not that. I went, no. <laughs> so it was a little bit annoying. Yeah. I well, didn't get the things and you fooled us, but...
0: Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I was talking to Pete, because we watched this, obviously, when, when it went live. I just watched it again before uh, we started recording this. And uh, obviously, we're not going to talk method uh, because, you know, it, it's not for that anyone can listen to this. But yeah. um, we we were saying, yeah, he, he's fooled them. Like, the wording that they used in that was very vague. And obviously, yeah. when you're in that situation, you know that if you prize them too much and sort of say... Oh, no, it's not that. They're, they're going to come at you and kind of reveal fully if they know it, you know. So it's yeah. always safer to kind of just be like, yeah, thank you for your cheating sort of thing. But I think you fooled them, mate. So, you know. <laughs> yes, <mate>. <laughs> <laughs> if that means anything, there you go. Uh, I, think I
1: appreciate it.
0: <laughs> um, brilliant. So just uh, trying to keep things in timeline and timestamp here. So... Uh, Obviously, between that and uh, the next thing I'm going to talk about, you've been out there performing loads, getting your face out and uh, some great places. But then I've got here the Killer Magic. So I'm really interested in this. So for people that don't know the program uh, and listeners abroad, just tell us a little bit about Killer Magic and uh, uh, the show and obviously how you came to be a part of it.
1: So the idea around Killer Magic was that there were so many shows going around at that point with, you know, a single magician and they wanted to do something different where they brought a group together. Now they hadn't really done a kind of group magic show really probably since monkey magic uh, with uh, John Archer, Ali Cook and the guys. And there was like, you know, we want to do it that all five of you pretty much on screen always at the same time kind of thing. Yeah. And there was loads of different concepts of how it was going to be at first and they wanted it to make sure that each person was unique in their own way and had such a different style to the other magicians like you know the styles couldn't even you know you would never have seen them sort of characters together normally like Mm -hmm. on the same show you know d christopher's very you know gothic and horror style magic jazz vegas you know she's like got this kind of burlesque style going on Yeah, Yeah, Ben Hart, smooth, suave, sophisticated look, Uh, Chris Cox, uh, geeky, funny, then myself, like that street kind of guy. It was just so contrasting in styles and it all came together really nicely. And then we started playing around with the idea of, okay, maybe each week it has a theme. So we did the whole show with every week we all had to do a trick based on a theme. So the first ever series was the theme was food. So we all had to create a trick uh using food. Uh yeah. whether that be like you know read it in someone's mind, whether it like from the menu, like I uh, know what you're gonna pick before you even know it. Um you know you had jazz doing like a hidden camera blind date and then she's eating the plates and the plants and everything like that, which was really funny. And then that was obviously funny. myself myself i've got like the card and the fish which is to me that's still one of my favorite tricks i've ever done like i love that like because the guy's reaction is like the funniest thing i've ever seen we could have probably made a 20 minute show just of his reactions alone um because he was going for ages like um and i remember anthony owen going to me after it he went he went it's probably the best reaction i've ever seen from a card trick in all my years of doing tv and that's a big thing to hear from someone like him like because Obviously, how long he was in TV for, but it was just such a funny moment, and um, it was just so great. On, just
0: like, just touch on that trick because I, I was about to say to you, uh, what is your favourite trick? I know what mine is from the series, and I was yep. about to say the fish trick. Um, yep. So, just explain uh, the effect for people. That seen it.
1: So, uh, I'm in a fish and chip shop, like uh, obviously making it very British feeling. Obviously, we all love our fish and chips, yeah. and the guy's got there with his may and they've got their food in their hand. So I get the guy to take a card. He signs his name on it, shows it to the camera. He puts it back in the deck that goes back on my inside pocket. I then explained to him that uh, today's trick is actually all being based around the theme, uh, theme of food. And that's what it's all been about. Now, I've never touched a box. I never took it from you, did I? And he was like, no. I open up the box so he opens up the box expecting something towards I like, jump out it's so sketchy when he's opening it, and he's like relaxes and he's like oh that food looks amazing and then I tell him to lift up the fish and he's like what's and lifts up nothing but then I tell him to break it open and that's when literally he just breaks down and he's screaming like freaking out because he finds his sign card inside the fish and he's like oh my god it's got my name on it and all he was going on about was like he must have been a fisherman and caught it and put it inside the belly of the fish. Then it got cooked with the card in my name. How is this possible? And we're wetting ourselves, laughing, all of us on set, like, for ages from all his mad theories. He was just like, he must have been a fisherman like that. And we're, wet. we're just laughing so hard. And like, when the guy goes, but you, I don't get it. You never took the box from him. And he just goes, forget that. Did he catch the fish and batter it? No. Like, and so we're just laughing. And then at the end, it's like, I even wrote my name wrong like a dickhead. <laughs> that bit got me. I was just like, oh, my God. So it's really, really funny. And loads of people as well. It's great. load of people thought we pre-showed it. But yeah. We did it. And I was like, I went, there's no pre-show. I went, take a photo, a screenshot of the very first moment when he signs his card and shows it and look at the end bit. I went, there you go, and it's just blowing people away because the methodist was so clever. Like, and that was um, uh, Sharky and Long's influence, you know, like because they worked a bit on the show as well, like on that mm-hmm. first episode. So I mean, and these guys work with Darren, so yeah. they're monsters. <laughs> you can ask for better people to work with. That's so yeah, work. that's it was, it. was just such a great trick, and um I'll always remember. So that was the very first trick as well. We actually filmed for Killer Magic, like out of all of them. Wow. So it was a great start to the series.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was super powerful, you know. It's uh there's been loads of cards to impossible location out there, but never inside a battered fish. I mean it was <laughs> I know. it was cool. And so but you know, you took you spoke there um about a little bit about sort of how you came up with the trick, but when you've got a show which I think was like a six part T V show and that's yeah. a lot of material and a lot of magic. Were you involved in sitting down and uh, did you have a say in the tricks that you performed or were they kind of yeah. like
1: like we people. had a say in every single trick we performed. Wow. Um we had constant days of meetings of you know, working on tricks and routines. Like we would, you know, just sit there for days. Uh luckily like when we was living in Glasgow filming the show, obviously we was like living a breathing. We was in that if we wasn't on a camera set, we was in the office just, like working on ideas. And I lived with Ben Hart at the time as of who's he's just like you know a mad scientist the stuff he comes up with is yeah. incredible like he his way of thinking uh it's beyond me like he's just so so intelligent and you know i learned so much from Ben. Yeah. and we was obviously always kind of ideas talking about how to you know get the most out of these effects of which no one's ever seen before and so it really helped me obviously we had Noel quarter there as well which was always coming up with like you know Noel was such an intelligent guy yeah. and he was always like some of like the ideas like what that just sounds like madness and then you realize it worked like like these crazy methods worked and yeah we was always coming up with, so like we'd sit days and have like brainstorms was like okay what themes can we go around with and we'd have like a massive list and was like right let's riddle out the weak ones what's going to be the strongest ones what's going to be the most intriguing ones you know and I think the toys episode was quite a fun one which we did um and I really liked uh the money episode as well because I think there's so many you know tricks magicians do with money I think it just was very relatable
0: for that So, Damien, uh, obviously with a show like this, you're going to have a ton of tricks that you need to learn. You're going to have a set time in which everything needs to be ready. Um, do you have any sort of yeah. memories of things which stand out of like, you know, it was a close call or any stories that uh, came from all of this?
1: <laughs> yeah, so it was actually uh, so one of the sort of episodes where I said it was my favourite, which was the money one. So this was the very last day of filming and the trick I'm doing with the fruit machine uh, where the oranges came out. This trick did not work not once in rehearsal, not a single (laughs) time. And we was like, we've got to film this trick. We have to do it no matter what. And we was just like, it, it basically, it was just going so bad. And we got to the point where it was just like, look, if it doesn't, like, the machine doesn't roll and land on the oranges, you know, you just start hitting it. Like, I want my money back, blah, 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 blah. Like, mm-hmm. just make it look like you have a little freak out. And then the oranges are going to fall out of the machine. Yeah. Uh, okay. Really didn't want to do that. So, you, when you film a lot of TV shows, you have, like, a few takes. So, the first take is, you know, they're going to be a good response. Take two is, like, the ultimate like people you've done with your casting stuff with, they're going to give you the best reaction possible. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're going to say. They just know they're seeing magic. They don't know the tricks or anything, obviously. Right. And then take three is kind of like your backup plan. Right. For the end, for the worst case scenario yeah. and take two, like my best reaction people, it lands perfectly. The trick works perfectly. So my reaction when I'm going, yes, we got three oranges, is genuine. And (laughs) I could see no, the production team, they're all jumping up in the background with their arms up in the air, like, oh my God, I can't believe it worked. I could see Ben Hart laughing in the corner because he knew it's just worked for the first time ever. Um, And we're just like, one of the prop builders who was helping it, he was just like, gobsmacked that it worked. And was like, how has this worked after all this time? Like, it was just, a nightmare and it's one of those mad things where it just looks great um so yeah I, everything was genuine now i think they thought i must have been a little bit psycho of how loud i cheered because <laughs> even when i watch it back i'm just like oh my god like i'm so loud
0: <laughs> i can imagine though for something that's just never worked and and perfect timing it's coming yeah you've got the footage you need that's that's awesome man um so, uh, leaving Killer Magic for a second and going on to uh, something very recent for you, and that is Britain's Got Talent. So, tell us about this whole process, Damien. What, first off, made you want to go on? You know, in the past, uh, magicians have been looked at sometimes not in the best light. Recently, they love magic, so I guess that's a, that's a good influence. But where does your story start with Britain's Got Talent?
1: Um. For years, like a lot of magicians, when BGT was very fresh, very new, I was asked to come on there so many times and I used to say no. Like, uh, I, like you said, uh, magicians wasn't exactly the popular choice for, say, the judges at the time. They, you know, the show maybe wasn't as kind to them, mm. and so I stayed away. And then when magicians finally started, you started seeing the best older magicians, like uh, getting actually some good reception from it. I felt like they was only the stage magicians, the big illusionists, which were doing pretty good. And I was like, you know, still not that time. So I used to say to them, no, you know, the show's not for me. It doesn't suit my style. And then you started seeing guys like Jamie Raven and Richard Jones going on there, the close-up magicians. Yeah. And I was like, mm, actually, maybe now is starting to think this could be it. And I would have little chats with them here and there. And then in 2018 well 2017 like around there I started having chats with them and I was like okay like I had a proper meeting with them I submitted some ideas and they loved it and I was like right cool we want you to come and audition um in London at the Palladium and so it gets to 2018 and it's about two weeks from the day of the audition and I actually pulled myself out, so um, it's very well publicized and the papers and that now that I pulled up because of I was dealing with depression and anxiety. Um, I was very uh, in a in a very bad place, mental health wise. I, you know, again, it's it's out there anyway. I don't mind talking about it. It's like I was a bit, you know, I was attempting to take my life. I was in such a bad place, mate. And um, you know, I eventually got uh, help I needed and. You know, got through the problems and sorted myself out. And you know, I still have days where it's a bit of a struggle, but you know, I know how to manage it a lot better now. So I always felt like that. You know, it was kind of something that I needed to go back and revisit and do. Yeah. And so in 2019, around. July time, they messaged us like, Look, would you be interested again? I was like, Yes, I would, because I know uh, they're saying there, yeah, it was like I needed to come full circle and, you know, base that demon of them. And so, had a few meetings, they liked the ideas. There was a couple of ideas about, you know, never even doing a trick on the stage at all ever and um, never even walking onto it, <laughs> which was, would have been fun. Um, and so, we bring Russ into the meetings as well. We had some, knocked quite a few ideas around and then around January time, we are a few like weeks away now from the performance and we've got this idea in mind and suddenly it all completely changes. Like Russ comes to me and is like, look mate, I've got this idea. I think this is going to be perfect for you because it just works your routine, like your style. It, it's just, it's just you. And I was like, okay. So I, I headed up to Blackpool and was rehearsing with Ross. And, you know, it's, it was such a great trick. And obviously it was um, Joe Miranda's uh, metal phone, McCain's release, of course. Yeah, And it was just such a good trick. And, you yeah, we're working on the whole idea. And, yeah, the, it was I literally two weeks before the actual audition, I... have only just started playing around with this trick, so it was a bit like, Oh my gosh, we're not far away from it now. So it was a bit mad, like to get that ready in such a short time.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And you know, uh, the pressure of, of walking out there on the palladium stage, yeah. having the four judges in front of you, um, I, how, what was that like? I mean, you finally got to this moment and you're about to step out on the stage. What goes through your head?
1: Yeah, so like. For me as well, like, um, it was a bit crazy because I'm backstage, like, and early in the day I had a rehearsal and, like, they have to make sure they're getting the right angles and the lighting again sound like for any TV show. And it couldn't have gone, again, it went so like wrong because we um, didn't take Sank into account. I'm not going to say what, (laughs) but it was just like, and then we chatted later, and Russell was like, no, do it your way. Like, you, you what you said was right, do it that way. And um, so I was like, okay, cool. And I was quite calm, like, backstage um, and everything. And then you start hearing some of the buzzers going off, and that buzzer is so loud, mate. Like, Whoa. I can't describe just how loud that buzz is. It's insane. And then the act before me got, like, buzzed off completely, and I'm like, oh, my God. And as well, I was actually up in Manchester for this audition, so it's was in wow. for the first one I was going to do. So, Manchester, and like, so obviously, I'm like, okay, like, and it's 2,000 people. And as soon as you meet Ant and Deck, it becomes very real. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Like, and you're chatting to them. I was just about to walk out, and I said, like, oh, hold up for one minute. Uh, they just got to do something to the judges' uh, mics, and they're checking all the mics. Like, oh my gosh. So I'm chatting around and they normal bad day-to-day life stuff like on the side, which wow. to be fair, it really helps. It calms me down quite a bit. And uh, then, yeah, there's was like, right, this is your moment. Go for it. And you get out there. And once, again, the judges start talking to you a little bit, asking you about who you are, where you're from, uh, do you think you can win BGT and all that sort of stuff, it sort of relaxes you because you're not just going straight into your performance. Yeah. and as I got into it, you know, it was it was fine, you know, and I kept trying to think of it like a close-up gig. that I'm just performing for four people, sure, and i have not got two thousand people watching me um, from the understand, and you can see everyone. It's not like a theatre; like you see everyone, like the way the lighting is. Yeah. So it is a little bit intimidating. And what Russ was saying to me afterwards what was so good was that for I'm probably the only magician who's ever gone out there and just was chatting really for two, three minutes, and they didn't buzz; they just listened. I didn't do anything. All I was doing was telling them to put some numbers in to so a calculator. Us, where's, where's the magic there? Yeah, yeah. And wow. he went, so it shows you had them hanging on every single word. Um, yeah. and you know when you know we started getting the reactions again, even from the credit card, you see like the reaction straight away from a tv show just that bit There's such a loud clap like what and then when it was revealed as simon's birthday i remember hearing somebody in the audience go no like really loudly and it chuckled me a little bit and then obviously simon's reaction was just like amazed and then yeah jumping back on the stage i never ever thought in a million years i would have got a standing ovation and it was just a phenomenal experience you know Hearing that and obviously the TV game, it gets like obviously edited and chopped down a bit.
0: Yeah, and it was on their
1: feet for you know nearly three minutes clapping. It was crazy. I can't ex- you know explain that. It was just such an amazing feeling. And when I was watching it back on the TV, like when we watched it, I was saying, I went, it's kind of good seeing. It. I went because I don't actually remember a single word I said to Ant and Dec when I got off stage because my adrenaline was all over the place. And I was like, I was just so excited. Like, I just honestly didn't remember a thing. So, I went, it's funny seeing that.
0: Well, I I thought um, it was great. And, uh, you know, when you said the reaction you got from the car going through the phone, I think that the reason the reaction was so big was because the focus, you couldn't have more focus on an object because you were putting the numbers in and it was on the screen for so long, everyone seeing this phone being used as a phone and a calculator. And then literally seconds later, not only can the car go through, but it morphs and changes into into a block. I think it's a very clever idea to use for the TV. Um, yeah. yeah, really well done, mate. And I urge the listeners here as well to to YouTube it and, and check it out if they haven't seen it already. It's a it's a really good piece of magic. Yeah, it,
1: it was it was really. I think as well, like it was so like relevant so we all use every single day. Like I think that's it was the scripting as well, which. Russ really works so hard on like, and it is just true. Like every single person uses the phone. So I think it was like, we could all relate to it. And I've always said with magic as well. Um, if a trick is quite personal, it's so much stronger. So like when you're using dates from their lives, they're they're invested in the trick straight away. They feel like they can't switch off. Like they want to know what's going to be about. Mm. And, you know, I make the promise at the beginning. This trick will connect to only one person in this audience. There's that intriguement in there? Yeah. So, like, even at a gig, I'll never go in straight away and just do a card trick. I'll always borrow something personal straight away. I'll borrow a ring or I will, you know, use a coin from them or something to take their watch, like, and do yeah. something there. Like, I always think it's so much more stronger to get yeah. their response straight away. So, if I'm in the semis, then, yeah, it would be, again, I've got a very, very clever idea for um,
0: I was gonna as, but, just gonna uh, say that obviously we don't know if you got through or what have you, and you can't talk about what you're gonna do. But I was gonna say, are, are you prepared if you do get through?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm prepared. I've got a idea in mind. I've actually got several, <laughs> so um, we've got some really really fun ideas and that. So it is now just preparing to see if I am through because obviously it's all just so much up in the air now, like because yeah. of what happened with the pandemic and um, we know now like you know well, what it's looking like they won't be able to bring the internet any international acts over because of what's happened yeah. um so it's it's a big big um you know thing to go on because like they don't know what they're going to do like you know can they do can they do the show without an audience I don't know if you're a comedian that's very hard to do a whole performance without an audience just for yeah. four people. No I think you, you I mean, need an audience.
0: It's is, It is different, you know. I know um, AGT, America's uh, no sorry, the um American Idol, they've managed to carry on because they've just given everyone recording equipment to to sing from their homes, but it it's very different when you need that audience reaction really, you know.
1: Yeah yeah i mean an audience thinks it like you know because you think out of right about say three out of four judges really enjoy it still looks a bit "Mm, really like where if you've got a whole audience behind it yeah it's i mean that's a big big jump so
0: well look I mean, um, my fingers across you, mate. Good luck. I hope you get through and I hope it, it all works out that the show can continue because um, you deserve to be there and I look forward to, to seeing what you've got for the next round. Um, I appreciate it. On, on a final closing, uh, I always like to ask magicians uh, a question, right? So this, this does catch people off sometimes, but uh, I'll throw it to you. Going back to magic in general. All right. Now, have you heard of the, the TV show Room 101?
1: I don't watch TV. I'm so bad.
0: Uh, no, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so, uh, basically, they uh, they choose things to put into Room 101. So, um, let's say, for an example, the Prime Minister, and you give your reasons as to why you want the Prime Minister to go in, and uh, if the panel agrees, then they pull the lever, and he drops into Room 101. And in this theoretical world, he no longer exists, right? So it's a good show if you've never seen it. So I'm going to do a magic version on this podcast. I've been asking people, is there anything in magic that you would put into Room 101, right? Now, for me, I always give the example of that guy that says, can you make my wife disappear, right? So, um, you know, if I could get rid of them forever and put them in Room 101, I would. So for you, is there anything, any bugbears or just anything that you think... You know, in magic could go into room
1: 101. Um, if I was to say anything from magic to go into 101 would be ego. It's right. too much ego in magic. Like, um, and if I could throw in one more, I think it'd probably be the armchair magicians as well. Um, right. Like, it's, yeah, I think ego can be a big uh, killer. You know, we'll all go through it at some point. Even myself, I had it for a little while, and it's like, you know, you have got to learn to, you know, leave that ego out the door. And I, I learned from people is like, you know, it's success is irrelevant. You know, um, no matter how successful you think you are, there's someone more successful in a different way. And like, um, and you know, it's you know, we, you see our industry, we get a lot of people like who, instead of like, you know, congratulating, instead they try and pick holes instead. Mm. You know, you never please everyone, yeah. but um. It's just how it is, but I'd say that's it for me. Like, um, you know, I've always found it a bit annoying when magicians who don't go out there and perform to a real audience will criticise a magician who does go out there and perform to real people and are trying to make something of themselves. That's why I say armchair magicians, shall we say, because they're not performing to um, a real audience, so it shouldn't really be too over. Judgmental, you can maybe say, Oh, you know, like, you know, I think you maybe have done this better, but don't be like so overly critical of someone. It's not very nice, and it can really affect a lot of people like that, you know. It's uh, we've seen it time and time again of uh, people doing that, and not just in the magic industry, like the music industry is just as bad as well, like uh, the entertainment industry as a whole, you see it. So
0: well, I, I'm taking that, mate. I'll take the ego along with the armchair magicians and I will drop them in. I'll pull the lever and drop them into room 101. So they've gone forever in this fear, theoretical world. Uh, that's a great one, mate. And uh, yeah, no, I agree with you there. Uh, so bringing this to a close, David, if people want to follow you um, or, you know, check your stuff out, where's the best place? Uh,
1: it's just at Damien Magician that's my name on all social media so you can find me whether it's Instagram probably and Twitter on the most active for me Facebook TikTok when I actually do it and YouTube of course so yeah at Damien Magician you'll be able to find me
0: brilliant and for the magicians listening who are interested in collecting playing cards uh, Damien also has a couple of decks of cards that you've produced right where can we get them
1: uh, they're on my website, Damienobryan.com. So yeah, they're there and there's going to be some new merch as well. Dropping very soon with the Honya brand. So I'm excited about that.
0: Fantastic, mate. Well, thank you so much again for joining me, mate. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best in the future.
1: No, no worries, man. Thank you. And uh, as we said, I've, I've known for so long, so it's like, you know, I'm really uh, glad we actually finally got to do it.
0: Thanks so much, mate. And I'll speak to you soon.
1: Take it easy, buddy.
0: So there we have it, another great episode. And of course, huge thanks goes to Damien O'Brien for giving up his time and giving you guys some great tips and advice there. Now, moving on with the podcast, uh, I want to open it up to you guys. Now, in my show, I have got Recommend Me Free. It's one of my favourite bits. And of course, Room Magic Room 101. There are two segments in my show that I really enjoy. I want to add a third segment. Now, I've got loads that I was kind of compiling through and having to look through. Uh, but I thought it'd be fun to throw it out to you. So if you have a segment that you think would be fun to listen to in the show, all you have to do is head over to this episode the Damien O'Brien episode and underneath it just leave a comment obviously comment on what you thought about the episode but leave that comment now what you think I could add to my show Uh, the best one is going to get added and I will add it into most weeks and most episodes so just a fun little thing there to interact with you guys over on the Facebook page and uh, there you have it let me know what you want to hear so thank you so much and I will see you or you will hear me next week on the Loosely Speaking Podcast.